Hello and welcome to the Moving Curve. I'm Rukmini, a data journalist based in Chennai. Two nights a week on this mini cast, I consider one question around the novel coronavirus epidemic in India. Tonight I'm considering this one. What's going wrong with our vaccine development process? It's day 354 of the novel coronavirus epidemic in India and we are reporting 10,567,355 cases with 152,383 deaths. As regular listeners might have noticed, I, I took a short break. And one of the things that I've realized on my return is how squarely the conversation around COVID has moved into the vaccine phase now. Globally, there are two other stories that matter too. One is around new variants of the virus and the other around second and third waves. And I'm going to be talking about these issues on future episodes. But for multiple reasons, these are relatively less important stories for India. So I'm going to be staying on the vaccine story for the next few episodes and there's a lot of ground to cover. In this episode I wanted to sort of lay the groundwork and whom better to speak to than Dr. Gagandeep Kang. Dr. Kang is a virologist and professor in the Department of Gastrointestinal Sciences at the Christian Medical College in Velur. Her work focuses on diarrheal disease and vaccinology, particularly the testing and development of the rotavirus vaccine. In recent days she has also come under some amount of right-wing attack for making the completely unobjectionable statement that the approval of Bharat Biotech's Covaxin vaccine has been rushed and we need more data from the clinical trial before deploying it. When I spoke to Dr. Kang a couple of weeks ago, the immediate trigger was the news that a Chennai-based participant in the Serum Institute AstraZeneca Oxford trial had suffered a serious health emergency and was now suing the company. My interest in the issue was not so much around whether the vaccine or the placebo had caused the health emergency, but more around whether the issue had been handled through the proper regulatory channels. and the fact that we were hearing about it because of a news report in the economic times and not because the company had disclosed it so my first question to dr kang was about the opacity in communication that i feel has plagued not just the covishield trial but other trials too bharat biotech to a far greater extent in general uh, about both drug and vaccine trials so far do you feel that there's been something lacking in the uh, communication around it I think that's a problem with all of clinical research in India. Okay. So when we think about how clinical research is done, frequently we've been driven with a by a model where we don't do investigator initiated research. We do research that is um essentially driven by companies. So when you don't build your teams to understand why questions are important and what really needs to be done to answer those questions you i think somehow when you recruit people to participate in your clinical trials who are your patient populations the dynamic is very different than if you go to a community and ask people to participate in research so that difference in i think that's why community based researchers probably do vaccine trials in a very different way than from your standard 
drug trial researchers because most drug trials tend to be sponsored by companies. In this situation, what we have done pretty much is take the drug trial route to do vaccine trial research. I see. And so for that, I think that really affects communication strategies. You treat patients very differently. You interact very differently. The level of engagement of principal investigators with the research team and with participants in the studies is very different. So I certainly think that it would be good for PIs to understand that this is not, uh, you're not conferring a favor on people by doing the research, they are doing you a favor by participation. Mm -hmm. That's the approach we've generally taken to our projects. And we find that it really makes a difference with long-term engagement, with sorting out problems early. Not that we don't have them, mm -hmm. but at least I get the feeling that we take a very different approach to communication than seems to be happening in some cases in the trials that are being done in India. I asked her about why she thought it was going this way. The speed and the pressure that's being put right now on the trials, is does that have an effect on why or how they are being conducted? Or is We are not doing huge trials at each place. It's a few hundred people. I mean, the biggest trial is the phase three of the COVAXIN study, which is going to be 26,000 people. The U.S., which has one-fifth of, okay, one-fourth of our population, is running six such trials, recruiting 30,000 people. And we are hearing that Bharat Biotech is having problems recruiting after getting to eight or 9,000 people. Why is that the case? They're in 20 locations. Why should it be a problem for them to recruit mm -hmm. any sorts of sensible numbers right. if they are in so many different locations and yet they're having trouble? The right. other trials are all 100 people, 1,600 people. Those right. are not humongously large studies that are hugely difficult to recruit for. I don't know whether we are trying to do this on a shoestring budget. Mm -hmm. You know, what are the issues really with recruitment? Right. But I think a major issue is the baggage that we carry of mistrust of clinical research overall. Mm -hmm. And I'm being told that a lot of people are saying now, why should I enroll in a trial? I'll just wait for the vaccine to come. Right. I don't think the vaccine is coming to the bulk of our population for a long time yet. So if you really, really want to get the vaccine, you should enroll in a trial. You know, quite frankly, I don't think we are as in, in as desperate need of the vaccine as right. the rest of the world. Right. So I don't get this hype of we must have a vaccine license tomorrow and we must have start rolling it out immediately. Right. I would really rather that we do things sensibly, quietly, take our time about it. When vaccines are ready, we'll roll them out right. and roll them out to priority populations in the order that we've set. 
Next, I asked Dr. Kang a little about the UK variant. Let me ask you now about this uh, the UK mutation. Um, my understanding is that that it seems like this extent of uh, genomic sequencing is probably not happening everywhere else. Certainly not in India. So it seems like one more. Just as in the beginning, it was, or even now, it's hard to compare different populations because of the differential rates of testing. In a sense, that analogy comes to mind even here. What is the situation of genomic sequencing in India? Is this sort of research happening in India as well? I am just not aware. No, no, there is sequencing. There's huge sequencing capacity in India, and BBT and CSIR and ICMR have all sequenced strains. Out of the approximately 300,000 strains that are globally available. 150,000 of them are from the UK. Okay, so the UK is punching way above its weight when it comes to tracking strains. That's why you are able to pick up strains like this, even though you don't in other places. Other places that are doing really good sequencing, South Africa. Oh, really? Okay, right. and Seems to a certain true. extent, Brazil. So we are seeing variants in Brazil and South Africa that we have not seen uh, because other places are not sequencing at the same level. Maybe China is, but China has fewer cases. So if the UK strain, did we see the UK strain because the UK is sequencing? Right. Likely. Is right. the strain not in India already? We don't. Don't know. know. Right. So it turns out that we actually have no strain sequenced after July. After so July, initially, uh, initially there was this huge pitch from BBT, CSIR. Each of them wanted to do a thousand genomes. They each did a thousand genomes, published it in papers, and stopped sequencing. Oh, so now apparently they are going to start sequencing again. And once they do that, then we will have an answer to: Is this strain already in the country? Right. And hopefully, after we have that information, we will, in parallel, be setting up systems to make sure that we continue to sequence at a reasonable rate. Okay. Across the country for the future. Okay. Because I would imagine this would have implications both for testing and for vaccines. Right. It does. So I think two important things need to be done. One is will the te- diagnostic tests that we have currently, which rely on molecular approaches, will they continue to work? And the only way to do that is to have panels of strains and then evaluate all your tests against those strains and know when you need to pull a test out right. because it's no longer working. Right. The second thing is with vaccines, we need to keep these strains to see whether the neutralizing antibodies that are made by people who have prior infect infection or prior vaccination actually neutralize these strains or not. Yes. Uh, at the moment, we are not doing any of this. 
Getting our vaccine development process right is going to be so crucial because, as Dr. Kang says, this is a hugely exciting moment. Vaccines are fantastic. I'm very excited about how well the vaccines are performing. Mm-hmm. Because I was not expecting the level of performance that we've seen from the RNA vaccines. And another reason for being excited about the RNA vaccines working so well is that if they get their manufacturing technology sorted out, which is an issue, and their supply chain sorted out, sorted out which is also an issue, we have the prospect of being able to make billions of doses quite quickly. And does all of this progress on vaccines, does it make you uh, feel any more hopeful about other vaccine development? You know, the the compression of speed, uh, compression of time. Hugely. Mm. Hugely. We've now got tools right. that will allow us to address the next pandemic. Right. You know, if to know that you can make an RNA vaccine over a weekend and get it into people quickly is phenomenal. So you could look at compressing your entire vaccine development timeline. You could go from sequence to licensure in three months. Right. Right now we've done it in nine months. Right. Can we do it in six? That should that be our next goal? And then could we look at three months? This would be phenomenal. Being excited about the speed at which potentially effective and safe vaccines can now be developed is exciting. But making sure that we're getting both the efficacy and safety right has got to be central to how we go about it. We're going to be talking more about that in upcoming episodes. I thank the legendary Dr. Kang for joining me today. This episode was edited by Anand Krishnamurti. On the next episode, a new question.